Merry almost Christmas. All right, speaking of Christmas, we are precisely two weeks away from Christmas Eve. And so if you've been around, uh, you know the drill. But if you haven't been around, let me just uh, fill you in. So Christmas Eve's on a Sunday. We will not be gathering at 9.15 or 11 that day. Instead, both of our gatherings will be that evening. So 3 and 5 p.m. will be our annual candlelight service, which is uh, one of the most epic services that we do every single year. So uh, what I need from you, A, is a plan to be here, all right? So if you're going out of town, uh, come to the service, then go out of town. And um, if, if, if so, if you're going to be here, uh, please, please be thinking about someone that you can invite. So obviously this time of year, folks are looking for holiday things to do. Folks that typically would not come to church with you are open to come if somebody that they know and trust invites them. That's just all the stats bear that out. And so uh, we've made it easy for you. So we have these uh, sweet little Christmas Eve invite cards that are on the communion tables as you exit. Encourage you just to grab a handful of those bad boys, pass them out all week long, or really for the next two weeks, your barista at Starbucks, your server at your favorite restaurant, your neighbors, uh, your roommates, college friends, whatever, whoever, just invite as many people as you can so that we can expose as many people as possible to the glorious good news of the Savior who came into this world, lived a perfect life died a sinner's death and rose again to give us abundant life now and in eternity. And so it's going to be a special evening. Just be thinking about who you can invite to be with you uh, on that evening. Now, last week we kicked off our Advent season here. And so if you uh, missed last week, the word Advent just means arrival or it means, means uh, to come coming. And uh, for centuries, Christians around the world have set aside uh, four weeks leading up to Christmas, both to celebrate the first advent of Jesus when he, come, when he came as a babe in a manger 2,000 years ago, but also, also to anticipate his second coming, his second advent. And so Advent, for those of us who know and trust and follow Jesus, it's a season of both celebration and anticipation. And so this Advent season at New Life, we're walking through John's prologue that's found in John's Gospel, chapter 1, first 18 uh, verses. And so we're going to pick up right where we left off last week when we walk through the first five verses of John 1. Now, if you are here last week, you know that we drew out several uh, just magnificent, uh, glorious truths about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'll just repeat them for you here if you missed last week. We learned from the first five verses that Jesus is eternal, that he is divine, that he's personal. In other words, he's, he's close to us. He's near to us. He's not a far off distant deity that can't be known. He is creator and sustainer of all. And then finally, we saw last week that Jesus is light and he is life. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of summit the pinnacle of this passage on Christmas Eve, so that's two Sundays from now on the 24th. But we're building there slowly, right? We're climbing the mountain, as it were, to that pinnacle as we enjoy the deep beauty of each verse, building up to really kind of the crescendo of that divine masterpiece in John's prologue. Advent, after all, is about waiting, isn't it? It's about anticipation. In fact, what I want us to do is I want us to go back to the first five verses that we uh, walked through last week, and I want us to read those together. You're going to help me read this out loud to really kind of set up what we're going to look at uh, this morning. So John 1, beginning in verse 1, you read it with me. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
Man, I almost want to just preach that again, but we have to move on to the next portion of our text. But before we do that, let's pause and ask for the Lord's help. God, we come to you. And although this season is one of celebration as we look back to the babe in a manger, the God who wrapped himself in human flesh on a rescue mission for rebels like us, we do celebrate that. And we also anticipate the day when Jesus will return, not as a babe in a manger, helpless, meek and weak, but as ruler and king of the universe that he created. When every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord and king over everything. We look forward to that day. We anticipate that day. And yet, Father, we live in the in-between. The first advent and the second advent. And in between, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering and there's a lot of chaos and there's a lot of confusion. So we ask that you would be with us, that you would be near to us. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence to be in this place, in this space. Pray that you would speak to us as we open these ancient words inspired by your spirit. You'd speak to us, that you would open our hearts. You would open our minds to hear a divine word from you that would change us as we leave this place. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Our text this morning, uh, Carrie read so beautifully for us. Let's, let's read it again. John chapter 1, starting in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Now, this week's reading invites us into the conceptualization and meaning of the role of witness as we get a peek behind the curtain of one of the greatest witnesses to the light in human history, John the Baptizer. Now, this is important, I think, for us as we launch into this Advent season because I think that one of the dangers for many of us during this season is that Advent can become a personal and private affair for many of us. So instead of reflecting the light, we tend to, during this season, just admire the light. But our call as apprentices of Jesus, as his disciples, is to admire the light during the season, yes. To stand in awe of the light, yes. But also to reflect that light into the darkness of this world. And so let's dig back in, rewinding to last week, starting in verse 4. John says this, in him, that's Jesus, was life and the life was the light of man. The light, I love this, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Before we move on, man, can we just pause and bask in the awe of this promise for a moment again? The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness will not overcome it. Listen, y'all, this world can be a dark, cruel, painful place where suffering is very real. And what John is telling us is, yes, in the middle of all of that, in the middle of all of the, the muck and grime and chaos and pain and sorrow of life, there's this promise that a, that a light has dawned and darkness cannot and will not ever overcome that light. And his name is Jesus. Now, I want to give you kind of the big idea, the thesis of where we're going. This will be on the screens for you. It's this. Great promises birth fierce purpose. 
Great promises birth fierce purpose. Now, we all know this from a human perspective. At least most of us have had, uh, I don't know, sports coaches, mentors, uh, parents, different adults at, at points in our lives, particularly when we were younger, who pushed us when we thought we couldn't go any further, right? And so I played sports growing up, and I can still hear the voice of some of my coaches. Come on, Dylan. You got this. Pick it up. You got more in the tank than you think you have. The pain of Tuesday morning sprints is going to be worth it when you see the glory of the Friday night lights, right? And so promise births purpose. And here's what I'm convinced of. A man or a woman with an unquenchable purpose in this life is the most dangerous kind of person on planet Earth in the best way possible. And so what John is really going to do for us this morning is he's going to take this glorious, hey, the, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. This glorious cosmic promise and truth, and he's going to bring it down to earth for us from the cosmic into the dirt of real life. Like what's, what's this look like? What, what ought this look like in our lives if we claim to, to know and, and love the logos, the light of the world, Jesus Christ? He's going to give us that today. So let's look at verse six again. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And I would just encourage you as you read that, maybe insert your name there. There was a man, there was a woman, there was a young man, there was a teenage girl sent from God whose name was, fill in your name. There was a church sent from God whose name was New Life to bear witness about the light in the darkness of the world. Now, this particular witness is, is John the Baptizer, commonly referred to by, by many folks as, as John the Baptist. We'll talk about him in a minute, but before we do, we can't miss this. There was a man sent by God. I just encourage you, man, don't, don't, don't glaze over that. Don't, don't brush over that. Don't rush through that. Here's why that little seemingly insignificant detail is actually super crucial to our lives and our understanding of purpose. And here, here, here's the reason. God is a revelatory God. Let me say that again. God is a revelatory God. Our God, the God of the scriptures, is not a distant God. He's not hazy. He's not ethereal. He's not this opaque deity. He's not some nebulous higher power that can be sensed but never known. The God of the Bible has revealed himself in a variety of creative ways. I would argue, first of all, in his creation. Have you ever seen a sunset over the ocean? You ever watch a sunset over the Blue Ridge Mountains? If you're a parent, have you ever seen a, your son or your daughter being born? The creation screams of a good creator. He's revealed himself, I would, I would say very clearly in his creation. He's also revealed himself what, through what we're studying together today, his, his word, right? His revealed word, these ancient words inspired by his spirit through time and space that speak deeply to our hearts just like they spoke deeply to his followers 2,000 years ago revealed himself through creation, through his word. And then I would argue that he also reveals himself and has revealed himself through people uh, like John the Baptist, who was, by the way, the, the last in a long line of Old Testament prophets who were all paving the way for the advent, for the arrival of the coming Messiah on the world stage. Now here's, if I could just be honest with you, here's my pastoral fear or concern for us. I fear that for, for many self-professing believers today, that we are, we are in practice functional relativists. In practice, functional relativists, meaning that we don't really believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, the light that overcomes darkness. 
A way, sure. A light, yes. A truth, okay. But the way, the light, the only pathway to the Father, man, that feels too bold. That feels arrogant even in our relativistic culture. As if our judgments of reality are more fair and compassionate than those of God Almighty. Listen, y'all, I just want to say, God has revealed himself. The baby born in a manger who became a man who was nailed to a tree and who walked out of that tomb three days later is the light of the world and the darkness will not overcome the light. And God reveals this to us in a variety of ways. And, and here, yet another, God sent us a man named John. John the Baptist, John the Baptizer to bear witness to not a light, but to the light. So let's continue on in the story, in the narrative, starting in verse seven. He came, and every time you see the word witness here, I just wanna just underline this in your Bible, because this is, this is key, this is crucial, we'll come back to it. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, John the Baptist, but came to bear witness, there that word is again, about the light. Now you gotta understand that hearing these words or reading these words would have brought very specific Old Testament prophecies to the minds of all of his Jewish readers because of super well-known messianic prophecies scattered throughout the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Isaiah. I wanna share just one of those messianic prophecies that would, this would have kind of brought to their, to their mind out of many. This is Isaiah chapter nine, two. It says that Isaiah writes this, again, prophesying about the future Messiah who would come. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So when John starts saying things like, I came to bear witness to the light that pierces the darkness, their ears would have perked up immediately. They would have known exactly who John was speaking of here, the coming Messiah. Now his Greek readers as well, uh, this idea of light in the darkness would have resonated deeply with them because in their day as in our day, most religions, whether it's Buddhism, Eastern mysticism, Greek mythology, modern day new age, all of them contain this idea, many of you are familiar with it, this idea of duality. Right, you've heard about it. We've all seen it, the yin, the yang, light versus darkness. So John is going, hey, listen, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Greek, hey, listen, this thing that you've been searching for, the light, it's Jesus. It's not a philosophy, it's not a religion, it's not an ideology, it's a person. And I think that then begs the question for us, maybe, maybe you've asked yourself this question, why has God revealed himself? Have you ever wondered that? Why has God revealed himself to seemingly insignificant creatures on planet Earth? Why would he take the time and trouble to reveal himself to us? Why has he sent messengers like the prophets of old, like the apostles of the New Testament, guys like John the Baptist, why? John tells us exactly why at the end of verse seven when he says this, that all might believe through him. Through who? through the light, through Jesus Christ, the Logos. So for now, I just wanna say, if you're, if you're here in the room, if you're maybe watching online right now, I want you to know that the light has come to pierce your darkness. Why? So that you might believe through him and find life in him. 
And so let me just ask the question with full knowledge. I, I realize every single week we have people in the room, people watching online uh, who have not yet placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, man. And I'm happy that you're here. But let me just ask you the question. Has the light pierced the darkness of your soul? Has the light pierced the darkness of your pain and your shame and your guilt and your regrets? Have you surrendered your life, turned from your sin, and embraced the light? And if not, I would just, I would plead with you this morning, as I believe John would, if he were on the stage today, I would plead with you, turn to the light. Embrace it. Embrace the one who knit you together in your mother's womb, who invites you into abundant and eternal life, starting now, extending on into eternity. And for, the, for those of us who are in the light, who know the light, who walk in the light, I don't want you to miss this idea of John the Baptist as witness here. Remember, we saw that three different times. I came as witness, he says, to bear witness. He says, about the light, so that all might believe through him. Three times in verse seven alone, he uses the word witness. This is the Greek word martyria. That's where we get our word martyr. This word literally means to testify. This idea of testifying, even at great cost to yourself, testifying even to the point to, uh, unto death. It's the idea, even the picture I think John is painting for us here is, is, is standing before a judge as, as one who testifies, one who witnesses and staking your claim to reality in front of that judge. Judge, here I am. This is who I am. This is what I believe. This is what I've witnessed. This is what I bear witness to in front of you, the jury, and God above. So help me God. And from that, I want to give you three marks of a witness to the light. Three marks to a witness to the light. And then we'll do a little application, move into a time of celebration as we uh, take communion together. But number one, being a witness to the light means being a witness, number one, in the joys of life. It means being a witness to the light in the joys of life. Now, if you're familiar with the gospel accounts, you know we first meet John the Baptist on the shores of the Jordan River. And when we meet him, when we encounter him in the scriptures, he's this sort of eccentric, uh, dynamic preacher who is just kind of drawing massive crowds. He's baptizing lines of people. I mean, they literally are lined up out the door to be baptized by this charismatic speaker. He's gotta be on cloud nine, man, right? He's, he's a human. You gotta be on cloud nine, man. He is, he is the person of the year on the cover of Time magazine. Move over, Taylor Swift. John the Baptist is here. And yet, and yet, at precisely the moment that he could self-promote that he could have self-promoted, he could have ascended to the status of megachurch pastor, private jet, beach houses all over the Galilean landscape. I want you to listen to what he says later in the very, this very chapter, John chapter one, starting in verse 19. It says, and this is a testimony of John, John the Baptist. When the Jews sent the priests and the Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So they've heard, they've heard, man, there, there's this wild guy, he's out by the river, he's this incredible, charismatic speaker, crowds are flocking to him, thousands are being baptized, we gotta figure out who this cat is and what he's up to. So they come out, they find him, they pull him away from the crowds, they go, John, who are you? Verse 20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And he just blew it. 
And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And then he quotes Isaiah 40. He says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Verse 25, they asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you're not Christ or Elijah, the prophet John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not, not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across from the Jordan where John was baptizing. And then watch this. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, that's him. It's not me. That's the one you're looking for. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now don't miss this. John the Baptist, the world at his fingertips, a chance to ascend to the highest religious perch and fame of his day. He goes, nope, you got the wrong guy. It's not about me, it's about him. All of this is about Jesus. He is the light who has pierced the darkness of this world. He is the lamb who has come to take away the sin of the world. And I think John teaches us right here to bear witness in the joys of life. Listen, friend, when the skies are blue in your life, when you walk outside and the birds are singing, all seems right and well in your world. I think too often we forget our purpose as disciples of Jesus when we walk in the joys of life. We can tend to get sidetracked, can't we? Distracted, moved off course. And John is reminding us, man, in the joys of life, man, we, we ought to bear witness to the light that is Jesus. John also shows us right in this very exchange between himself and the religious leaders of his day that number two, being a witness to the light means being a witness in, in the adversities of life. Not just the joys of life, but in the adversities of life. Now you'll notice John went from rock star to persecuted really quickly, didn't he? And isn't that a microcosm of life? On the mountaintop one moment in the valley just like that. All it takes is a phone call, text message, result from the doctor, and we can come crashing down from the mountaintop into the valley really, really quickly. In John's case, he goes from adulation from the crowds to a line of critics. I don't know if you know this yet or not, but, but life ain't easy. If you're over about 10 years old, I think you've probably already figured that out. In fact, oftentimes it's, it's downright hard. But John the Baptist teaches us that in the spotlight of glory, we give witness to the light. And under the heat lamp and microscope of criticism and scrutiny and pain and sorrow and loss, we also give witness to the light. Thirdly, I think he shows us that being a witness to the light means being a witness, number three, in the waiting of life. In the waiting of life. Now, if you love waiting, just raise your hand. If you love waiting. I got two psychopaths in the back that need some... I'm kidding, nobody raise their hand. Nobody, 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 likes, nobody likes waiting. And yet, and yet, where do most of us find ourselves for long stretches of our lives? In waiting. Sitting in traffic, standing in line at Publix, 
waiting on the test results from the doctor's office, waiting to see if I got accepted to that college or university that I so longed to go to, waiting on my wife to come out of Target. Dear God, when is she going to come out? <laughs> waiting on God to answer your desperate prayers for healing for yourself or someone you love. Waiting. You know, John the Baptist knew something about waiting. In fact, eventually he would be uh, arrested. And as he waited in prison for his eventual execution, Matthew, another disciple of Jesus, records for us a very real and very raw exchange between Jesus and John the Baptist when he was in prison. So I want to just share that with you for a moment. This is Matthew chapter 11. It says this, Now when John, this John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now this is a fascinating paradox, isn't it? Is this the same cat that we see in John chapter 1, boldlessly pointing attention away from him to the Christ. I'm not the one. He's the one. I'm not even worthy to untie the sandal strap on his shoe. And now he's in prison. He's like, man, is he? Somebody go ask him if he's the right one. See, John finds himself in prison, and now he's like, how can this be? How can this be, man? I, I prepared the way for the Messiah just like I was supposed to do. And I was supposed to be standing by his side. I was supposed to be preaching with him, witnessing his miracles, shaking hands and kissing babies, ushering in the kingdom of light. And here I am, stuck in this God-forsaken dungeon, waiting for what? For my head to roll. Jesus, are you sure you're the one? Because this is not how I pictured it playing out at all. And I promise you, some of you sit today where John the Baptist sat all those years ago. Jesus, this can't be it. This can't be it. Are you sure, Jesus, that you're the one? Because there's so much pain, so much loss, so much darkness, I can't even see. Drowning in my sorrow, my tears are my constant companion. And Jesus answered John and he answered us today. Tell him the blind see, and the lame walk, and the sick are healed, and the dead are raised. I am the one. Now I gotta tell you, man, this truth became deeply personal, personal to me in a fresh way this week. Uh, my dad went in for a routine surgery six days ago and ended up in organ failure. We spent all week trying to get him into a hospital that could treat him uh, to no avail as his health slowly deteriorated and I wish I had a happy ending for you, but we're still waiting. We finally got him into Chapel Hill a couple days ago, but as it stands today, um, I don't know if I'm bringing my, ba my dad back alive or if I'll be planning his funeral. It's been a dark season of the soul. The waiting has been painful. The nights have been restless. But here's what I'm convinced of now more than ever. God's promises are not theoretical. They become real to us 
in the dirt, pain, and mire, and muck of life. Because here's what I know. Waiting sucks. Pain sucks. Death sucks. Loss sucks. Sorrow sucks. But I'm convinced of this. Waiting is the soil that God grows the seed of faith in. The seed that produces peace in our life. And the seed that allows us to reflect the light into the darkness and chaos and pain of this world. And here's the bottom line. Witnesses reflect light. And the joys of life in the adversities of life, and in the waiting room of life. And so I ask you, dear friend, are you a witness? Are you a witness? Are you a light reflector or a light hoarder in the darkness of this world this Advent season? Because this is important. Look what John says in verse nine. He says this, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now notice this. He says, Jesus is the true light. Why does he say true light? I'll tell you why. Because this world offers many counterfeit lights. And many of us, maybe even unbeknownst to ourselves, are chasing counterfeit lights. Even those of us who claim to know and follow Jesus. So let me just quickly give you a list of what I would say are super common counterfeit lights in our culture today. Many of us chasing them. Number one, relationships. How many of us have bought the lie that Hollywood has sold us that our soul will be completed when we just find Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. And I want to tell you now, that is a lie. There's no man, there's no woman who will ever fill that gap in your heart that God was created to fill for you. Money. Man, we are the culture that chases money more than any other. We work ourselves into the grave. Man, if I just had a little bit more cushion in my bank account, if my 401k was just a little more secure, if I just had a little bit more, just a little bit bigger house, just a little bit newer car, it's a lie, friend. Those things will never satisfy your soul. Career. And we, we chase our own self-gratification and try to prove ourselves, the ground of our careers. And yet I don't think anybody wakes up on their deathbed and thinks, man, I wish I would have worked more. Wish I would have achieved more. Comfort, substances, sex, education, self, and a thousand more. And what the Apostle John is saying to us with love in his voice, friend, watch out. Friend, watch out. Just because it's bright doesn't mean it's the light. Just because it's bright doesn't mean it's the light. All that glitters is not gold, friend. And understand this, we are all chasing light in this dark world. And I think the warning this morning to us is make sure the source of your light is the one true light not a counterfeit light because the reality is this counterfeit lights will promise you the world and give you pain dysfunction disappointment and destruction and John continues on home stretch now starting in verse 10 he says he was in the world Jesus the world was made through him we looked at this last week he is creator yet the world did not know him he came to his own and his own people did not receive him the very creator of this world the creator who made you, who knit you together, who knit you and I together, and every human being, past, present, and future, and his own creation didn't recognize him. His own creation walked away from him and rejected him. Now, look, this is huge. The very, he tells us, the very priests and scribes, the very religious experts of the day who knew the scriptures, who knew the Torah and the prophets, backward and forward, memorized 
could quote it like nobody's business. The very experts who studied it most and knew it best, listen y'all, missed it entirely. Unless we, unless we scoff at them or shake our fingers at their memory, beware, friend, that it can happen to you as well. Have you ever been so close to something that you missed it entirely? Maybe like you, uh, like me, you've, uh, you've been on a hike somewhere in the woods or in, in the mountains and you're standing somewhere and you look down and you realize there's a snake right underneath your feet, right? So near to you, totally missed it. Maybe a friend in a crowd and you start talking about later and like, man, you were at that concert, I was at that concert, or man, I was in this section, man, I was in that section. Like you saw them, they were, they were right there, so close and you missed them entirely. The car keys in my hand as I frantically look everywhere in my house. Babe, where'd you put my keys? They're in your hand, dummy. Right? We miss things that are right in front of us all the dadgum time. Blinded in the present by the urgency of the moment. Maybe by thoughts of the future. Maybe even crippled by our past. And we can miss it entirely. We're all in danger of missing it. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter three. We're gonna start off with some of the most famous words Jesus ever uttered. You're probably familiar with them. But then we're gonna move into uh, part of this teaching that, that really isn't talked about a whole lot. John chapter three, starting in verse 16, says this. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, right? Now, you know that one. Your, your grandma probably cross-stitched that on a pillow that's sitting on your couch. You, you know that. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, this is where most churches stop preaching this passage. Verse 18, anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe in, believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Friend, let me invite you just to bow your heads with me for a moment. We're gonna take some time to just reflect upon this. Then we're gonna move into a time of celebration. So we take communion. But I don't want you to miss this. What Jesus just said here is that some miss the light that's right in front of them because they love the darkness. And listen, friend, Christmas, with all of its trappings, the lights, the music, the peppermint mochas, the awkward family gatherings with the weird uncle, the eggnog, the fudge, the mistletoe, the last-second wrapping of gifts, the, stra- the, the stretch and strain bank accounts to make all of that happen are a poor substitute for the reality of a king who left heaven and came down to earth as the light of the world to pierce your darkness and my darkness. Listen, friend, the same hands that hung the stars in the sky were nailed to a tree so that you might see and be captivated by the light and to become witnesses that testify to the light as we ourselves begin to shine as lights that reflect the one true light, Jesus of Nazareth, into the chaos and darkness and sorrow and pain of this cold world. 
He is the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness will not ever overcome him. And so I just ask you, do you recognize him today, friend? Do you see him for who he says he is? He's not far off. They called him Emmanuel. Means God with us. God with you. God beside you, even in the pain, even in the sorrow, even in the darkness. God for you, do you see him? If you do, run to him. He is the one. He is the light that pierces your darkness. And if you've seen the light, man, may we bear witness to the light this Christmas season until we see him face to face. And on that day, friend, it will all have been worth it. All of it, all the pain, all the suffering and all the confusion and all the loss and all the tears will all have been worth it on that day. Because, and hear me say this, his first advent pierced the darkness, but his second advent will crush it once and for all. And so we await that day and we await our king. Father, we come to you and we are grateful for the light. We are grateful for the Logos, the Word made flesh, your Son, the, the one true light, the way, the truth, the life, the light of all mankind. Thank you for leaving the riches of heaven and coming into this busted up, painful reality that we've created, for living the life that we should have lived, for dying the death that we all deserve to die, for raising again to give us hope and a future in this life and in eternity. God, we can't thank you enough for Jesus, the light of the world. God, I pray for the person here, the person that's watching online, maybe who hasn't yet stepped into the light, that today would be the day that they would that today would be the day they realize that they're rebels against a perfect and holy God who has loved them more than they could ever imagine. They would lay down their arms and embrace their king and begin to follow him today. And God, I pray for those of us who walk in the light that we would be true witnesses to the light this Advent season. God, that we wouldn't just admire the light, but that we would reflect the light just like John the Baptist did all those years ago. Maybe even a great personal cost to ourselves because you're worth it. God, we pray all of this. Jesus is beautiful and perfect and holy and strong name. Amen.